We are studying Philippians 2 on the Radio Bible Course. Paul has been talking about two of his helpers, Timothy and Epaphroditus. They were exemplary men. Epaphroditus evidently had been sent by the Philippian church to bring a gift to Paul, who was in prison in Rome, and Paul has much praise for him. He writes in chapter 2, verse 28, Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Paul wants to be sure these people greet Epaphroditus. He's saying, hang out the banners and balloons for him when he comes. And that word receive is imperative in the Greek language. It means do it. It's almost like a command. And he tells them to do something else. Hold him in high regard. This means to place a value on someone or something. Paul wanted this man to be honored by the church. But true servants seldom are. We honor scholars preachers, and teachers, not those who serve with sacrificial love. And I suppose that reveals our lack of spiritual understanding. Now we come to the last clause in chapter 2, and that's verse 30. Because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Now that last clause has been misinterpreted as either sarcasm or a possible criticism of the Philippian church for not helping Paul enough. Paul would never do that if you know Paul. He worked with his own hands to support himself and depended on no one. Whether anyone gave him anything to help him in the gospel work that he was doing was not important to him. Paul could take care of himself, and he told the Thessalonians they ought to work also and be an example. He set the example for them by working for a living and supporting himself in the ministry. And that was Paul's pattern, and it's an example for young men today. If you want to serve Christ, do it at your own expense. Anyone can serve Christ if someone else supports them, but not many will serve at their own expense. Keep in mind that the Philippians were about a thousand miles away from Paul, and they couldn't very well help him, but they did send a gift by Epaphroditus, and he traveled that great distance to the prison to bring it to Paul so Paul could have his needs met. So Epaphroditus completed what they could not do. Now what has Paul done by writing about these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who served with him? He has given the church two living examples of his exhortations in the early part of this chapter to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. And verse 4 writes, do not look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have the attitude in yourselves, he is saying, which was also in Christ Jesus. That attitude was serving others. And now, friends, we move into chapter 3 of Philippians. 
Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision, who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. In this chapter, Paul is warning against teachers of Judaism who have come into the church in all the churches in the first century until the present day, men who consider themselves super-spiritual have afflicted believers with teachings from either the Law of Moses or from a puritanical orientation. Regardless, the result causes Christians to feel insecure in their salvation unless they conform to practices that make them worthy. Faith becomes insufficient to them, but what the apostles preached was faith alone in Christ alone. They didn't say if you believe in Christ and behave yourself, you will be saved. Instead, they preached, Trust in Jesus Christ who died for your sins and rose again. Believe in him as your sin-bearer. Put your faith in him. God saves through faith. The righteous shall live by faith. In this chapter, Paul's warning concerns legalism, and most likely it was Jewish Christians who would not let go of their former religion and wanted to impose it on the Galatian Christians. They are the cause of the danger to the church. They were promoting circumcision, not as good, but as necessary. And they were teaching that the law of Moses was necessary also. Now, what's the cure for this kind of thing? Paul gives it in verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord. Well, you can't do that without understanding the completed work of Christ on behalf of sinners. That's what causes me to rejoice every morning when I get out of bed. I say, thank you, Lord, for saving me. It is only when a man is resting on the finished cross work of the Savior to make him acceptable to God that he can rejoice in the Lord. Now, if you understand Romans chapter 8, you can rejoice in Christ. And what does it say? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned the sin in the flesh, in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What a wonderful passage that brings glory to God, because he has done everything. This passage doesn't tell us to fulfill the law. It says Christ has fulfilled the law in us, and faith in Christ brings us that benefit. Now, the Word of God recognizes two kinds of people, the saved and the saved 
and the lost. There are no half-saved people in the world. When we hear the gospel of salvation and believe it, we go from being completely lost to being completely saved. To believe it is to embrace the announcement that Christ died for our sins, and it means we depend upon that promise of God for eternal life. To believe means to rest on, to depend upon, to rely upon, and to trust in. Believing in Christ is no intellectual matter. It involves your will and your emotion as well as your intellect. When you depend on what Christ did for you, you will no longer fear the judgment of God for your sins. And friends, we all deserve his judgment, for all have sinned. When we believe in Christ, we are trusting in another as the remedy for our sin problem. And Jesus certainly solved that. He paid for all sins, for all time, for all men, and there was nothing more that he could do. And there was nothing more that he needed to do to save anybody. To believe, therefore, means to rely only on Christ's work and therefore abandoning everything else that you might trust, including your behavior and any biblical ordinances such as circumcision and baptism. Now, this is belief that is biblical faith that saves us completely. A person who believes in Christ has been made complete. Made complete by Christ's work. Now, that is fabulous. Believe it. I could not rejoice in Christ if there were something I must do or some standard that I had to meet. I rejoice because everything required by the holy law of God has been done for me by Christ, and I rest on him alone. Legalism rejoices in self, in human ability, in merit. But rejoicing in the Lord exalts the grace of God. If you get feeling pretty good about yourself as a Christian, remember this. Your salvation depends totally on what Christ did and God's generosity, not anything that you have done. Your character doesn't help. Your good life hasn't helped. Nothing will contribute to salvation, only faith in Christ, for he did it all. But the legalist speaks of what he has given up for God and the things that he will not do that other people do. He sees himself as more worthy than others as he compares his performance for God with that of other men. I ought to know. I was a legalist for many years, but now I rejoice in the Lord. Now, in verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul does not hesitate to repeat what he must have written about previously. It's no trouble to write about the same things. And he says, and what follows are those things. He tells them it is a safeguard for them. Repeated warnings make us more careful, and they remind us of every present danger. So Paul is warning. And he gives a description in verse 2 of the legalist. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. 
This is one class of persons described in three ways, dogs, evil workers, and false circumcision. Now, the word beware translates the Greek word to see. It means watch out for. Why does he say dogs? It was a derogatory title used by Jews for Gentiles who opposed God and Israel. They were considered enemies of God. Well, Paul reverses that meaning and applies the word dogs to Jews who became Christians but who have become enemies by perverting the gospel. Such men had troubled the Galatian churches, as Paul pointed out in Galatians chapter 1, when he wrote, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of God for a different gospel, which is really not another. But there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort or pervert the gospel of Christ. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be accursed. What was Paul's gospel? Go to Acts chapter 13 and 14, and after that, you will discover what Paul preached, the grace of God. Believe in Jesus Christ, and you will have your sins forgiven. But these Jewish legalists were saying, you need to do something more than that. And so they were perverting the gospel. So he calls them dogs. Remember, dogs in the ancient world were scavengers and ran in packs. They could be dangerous to children especially. Paul may see these men in that context. If so, he's saying, watch out for these dogs. They'll hurt you. So Paul is warning against men who don't preach the gospel of grace. Join me next week for more on Philippians. Until next week, this is Nick Calavota reminding you to rejoice in the good news.